Is it possible for the whole world to be flooded by water? Find out today on In Grace. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder, Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, as well as the host of In Grace Radio and TV. Hi, this is Jim Scudder, and we have a great, great program for you today. Here on our Friday and weekend edition of In Grace, we are going to take you back to the full-size ark. No, we're not going to Mount Ararat in Turkey. We are going to the Cincinnati area. You say, well, wait a second. Are you telling me there's a full-size ark in Cincinnati? Well, it's across the Ohio River in northern Kentucky. But yes, there is a full-size ark. Answers in Genesis built this beautiful ark. And what we're going to do today is finalize our tour of the Ark with the son-in-law of the founder of Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. His name is Bodie Hodge. Bodie and I are taking a full tour of this Ark, and today you're going to hear the conclusion of this tour, and this is going to be awesome. We're going to cover so much information, not only how did all the animals fit on the Ark and how could they have built this huge vessel with just, you know, four men and maybe eight people total. Well, there's lots of answers. We know all the animals could fit because we're talking about the kinds, and there's a lot fewer kinds than people assume there are, and the ark is huge. We also are talking about more than just the flood. We're talking about the Tower of Babel. We're talking about, you know, original sin and and all of these important truths that we only find in Genesis. And so I think you're going to really enjoy this tour of the ark. Now, you're going to hear it, but I think you're going to really want to see it. So if you want to see the entire full-length video series, A Tour of Noah's Ark with Bodhi Hodge, all you have to do is make a gift of any amount to InGrace. Your gift is going to make sure more people hear the gospel through our ministry, and you're going to get this great video, either DVD or digital download, as my thank you. We are so grateful for you, for just the very fact that you're listening right now, but but also, if, you, if you've been blessed and you would like to make sure more people hear the gospel and more people hear these great creation truths, when you give a gift to In Grace, I'll just tell you this. We are very careful with money. We're accountable. I don't receive any of the money myself. I'm a volunteer, basically. The church uh, pays my salary. So all the money's going into ministry that you send here. And it goes to more people hearing the gospel to make these great programs and to broadcast them. And so whatever that amount is, if it's $10, if it's $20, we're going to thank you by sending you this program, A Tour of Noah's Ark. Now, some of you want to give larger gifts. So if you want to give a gift of $35 or more, we're not only going to send you the Tour of Noah's Ark video series. We're going to send you a walk through the Creation Museum with Ken Ham. And one of my favorite adventures to film was a tour of the underwater realm. It's called Exploring God's Ocean. We did a series of dives. It's a full-length, four-part series with award-winning videography where my friend Robert Carter, PhD, marine biologist, we go diving and then we're talking underwater, we're talking above water about what we saw turtles and corals and sharks. It's really uh, amazing. So we want to send you that video series as well. Now, a lot of you say, hey, I really want to do a nice gift, a big gift for InGrace. Well, first of all, thank you for considering that. 
If your gift is $100 or more, we're going to send what we're calling the Creation Video Bundle. We have eight great, I mean, really, really good video series that we're going to send to you as our thank you, including the three I've mentioned and five more. Again, it's our way of saying thank you for believing in in grace, investing in grace uh, with a gift of $100 or more. Now, how do you you get this? Well, you can call us at 1-800-78-GRACE. Or you can write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Or you can go to our website, ingraceradio.com. When you're on our website, you can order these great video series. And you can also check out our creation cruise to Alaska or our trip to Israel. The cruise is coming up in July, the trip to Israel in February, and we would love to travel with you on one of our InGrace adventures. But either way, contact us today, 1-800-78-GRACE, 1-800-78-GRACE, or go to ingraceradio.com. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. We're going through some of the phases of the flood. We have the initial onset of the flood. On the 17th day of the second month, the springs of the great deep burst forth. And so we see these massive amounts of water then shooting forth. I think a lot of people miss that because you're thinking Noah's flood is rain. Right. Which it was, but it it wasn't just rain because they say, well, there'd be never enough water to cover the whole world. That's right. And that's a common question that we get quite often. So what it is, is you're getting a lot of the water from the earth itself is being shot up. That's probably what triggered a lot of the rain. Well, the Bible says the springs of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were open. And so you're getting a multitude of ways that this rain is coming down. Now I've had people say, well, do we have enough water to cover the entire earth? Actually, we do. We have plenty of water. If you take the, the ocean basins and bring them up, you take the mountains and the continents and you bring them down to about a level, we have enough water to cover the entire earth about 1.6 miles deep. Wow. So there's plenty of water there. So you're saying that the highest mountains were thrust up during or after the flood yeah, by probably, plate tectonics? Probably during and after that, uh-huh. that, you know, different ones at different times. We know the mountains of Ararat were pushed up by the time that the ark landed in them on the 150th day. So we have the flood beginning and then we have 40 days and nights of rain. That's the initial rainfall, races up the ark. And then we continue to see the water prevail. And we see that sort of thing. Water levels rise globally. We see probably all sorts of landslides, so, tsunamis. So not all of a sudden all the animals and all the humans are dead, but right. they will be. And you can see evidence of, of tracks right. right, of animals we trying do. to escape. We see a lot of tracks of creatures, particularly lower in the fossil record. You get to a certain point and you don't find them anymore. We actually expect that. The Bible says on the 150th day, all the land-dwelling, air-breathing animals that breathed through their nostrils had died. And of course, the ark was floating above all that. All this stuff is going on underneath. Global flood. Another question people have is, how come you're not finding a lot of humans in the fossil record or human activities? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. If you think of animals, when God created animals, he created the world animal-rich. It was full of animals. It was full of plants. But when it came to man, he created two of us. All of us are descendants of Adam and Eve. And what we have is 10 generations from Adam to Noah. Just 10 generations. So how many people were actually on the earth at the time of the flood? That's a great question. 
10 generations. And in some cases, people like Noah, they didn't even have children until he was 500 years old. So the population may not have been as high as we think. We sometimes want to take modern population's growth statistics and apply it then, but that may not be the best because it was a little bit different world. Another thing is, consider the violence. If the whole world were murderers, the population cuts in half in one day. Hmm. So what was the population at the time of the flood? I don't know. Uh, my personal belief is the Lord provided the sufficient means. I've never thought of that. To, to save people. Because I've always wondered, you know, it is big, but how could the whole world's population fit on right. the ark? But if there had been so much violence. Right. And that's why God finally had to say, I have finally. to stop this right. because everyone would be dead if I don't. Yeah, it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, some of that, you know, the Bible doesn't give us all the details on that. It's that interesting to think about. Well, it's but, logical. It really but, you know, is. So, sometimes we think of Noah and being this righteous figure who stood against the evil world. I guarantee when that door shut, he was probably in tears. Because according to the Bible, Lamech had other sons and daughters besides Noah. Noah had brothers and sisters that would have died in this flood. You know, Springs of the Great Deep, verse fourth, we see continental shifting and moving. This Indian plate kind of comes up and thrusts in to the Eurasian plate. So you're gonna be creating tall mountains where that Correct. happens. And, and in this particular area, that's where we find the Himalayas, for example. The highest mountain peak in the world, of course, sits in that, that particular mountain range. The ark rests 17th day of the seventh month, exactly five months if you use a 360-day calendar, exactly five months after the flood began. Where is the ark? Have you been able to find it? You know, that's a popular question as well. People wouldn't ask that question if we found it. That would be probably one of the biggest finds uh, ever in history. That would be cool, and there's plenty of people that are looking. But I want people to realize something too. You don't have to find the ark for the Bible to be true. That's right. Um, you know, a lot of times people want to tie their faith to a particular, uh, well, we've got to find this, otherwise we don't know if it's true. No, no, the Bible's true, that's the absolute standard. And so, you know, when we find different pieces of archeological evidence, for example, that's a great confirmation of what we read in scripture, but that's not the proof of the Bible. The Bible is actually the basis for proof. Really, the proof of the Bible is yeah. the resurrection of Jesus. If I, he rose, I, it's true. I tell you what, yeah. That's the key. You know, I, I like to tell a lot of people, if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, you should be able to believe all the rest of it. And right. you know what? That's what leads to the resurrection right there. But yeah, we start to see uh, different aspects. The mountaintops become visible. Now, that could be in, in one part because water is going down. That can also be because we have a lot of water vapor and a lot of volcanism that's in the air, so it's difficult to see. Uh, so it has to do with visibility here. Okay. And of course, finally, when it's all said and done, the 27th day of the second month, boom, that's when the Lord says the animals are called off the ark. Noah and his family are called off the ark. The cruise around the world is over. It's finally over. <laughs> Their quarantine is done. <laughs> As a result of the flood, we actually ended up with an ice age. The flood was the perfect conditions to trigger an ice age. What you need for an ice age are warm oceans and cool summers. So with continental shifting, with a lot of the volcanism, that's actually gonna heat up these oceans. And what that does is it allows for a lot more evaporation. You get hotter water, you evaporate more. So it goes over land, you get a lot more rain. Particularly in the wintertime, you get a lot more snow. So you get a lot of snow. But the other key is you have to have cool summers because if you have cool summers, then all that snow doesn't melt off. And then next winter, you get another layer on top so of it. So now you're starting, and that's what a glacier is. It's snow that's been, being compressed down layer after layer. Right. So it's not melting all the way. Exactly. And you're forming these massive 
glaciers. Glaciers, and that's yeah. what the Ice Age was. That's really what it was. So how do we get the cool summers? Actually, the global flood actually explains a lot of this. When you have continental shifting and moving, you get a lot of volcanism, those springs to the great deep bursting forth. When volcanoes go off, they shoot up a lot of, it's not just lava that comes out, we also see all sorts of particulates that come out, dioxins and other little uh, particulates that are very fine and they, they actually end up in the upper atmosphere. And they have to cancel airplane flights over that area because that yes. can stop the engines of it, an airplane. It really can, but some of these that are so fine, they just linger in the upper atmosphere for a long time. And that's blocking Right, we, we actually saw that with Mount St. Helens because of its explosion. It actually sent some up there. It actually cooled the globe just a little bit, tenths of a degree, huh. but we noticed it. Back in the 1800s, there was a massive volcano that went off in South America. And when it went off, I mean, it, it dwarfed uh, Mount St. Helens, but it left particulates up in the air. And the, the summer following that was called the year without a summer because a lot of sunlight was reflected back from those dioxins and those particulates, so we didn't get as much sunlight on the Earth. It actually dropped the, the global temperature, they estimate, somewhere in the neighborhood of about two to three degrees, which meant you really didn't have a summer that next year. So that actually cools summer. So with the global flood, with all this volcanism going on, and post-flood, a lot of continued volcanism as mountains are still, uh, still not settled, they're still going off and blowing, uh, it's gonna just cause this stuff to linger for years and years and years, and so, that actually cools the globe significantly for hundreds of years. And at the same time, you have the warm oceans, perfect conditions for an ice age. How many animals could fit on Noah's Ark? Did the flood really cover the entire earth? If you're wrestling with the answers to these questions, look no further than Ingrace's exciting video series, A Tour of Noah's Ark, where Jim Scudder walks through the amazing Ark Encounter in Northern Kentucky with Bodie Hodge, the son-in-law of Answers in Genesis founder, Ken Ham. This incredible series will be yours as a thank you for a gift of any amount to Ingrace. And when your gift is $35 or more, you will also receive two more video series, a walk through creation with Ken Ham and exploring God's oceans. Or get our entire eight series creation bundle for only $100. Don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity to learn about a young earth and explore the beauty of God's world. Call now, 800-78-GRACE, or order on our secure website, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. So you have the flood, you have the ice age, mm -hmm. you also have Babel. Yes. You yeah. have done a lot of research and study and you've spoken a lot I about have. the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of right. nations. You know, I heard you say Babel and Babel at the same time. Yep. That, that goes to show the effects are still in, right? <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> but yeah, the Tower of Babel, okay, after the flood, the Lord says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But the descendants of Noah defied God. Said they didn't want to be scattered. They wanted to go live in one place. And of course the Lord comes down, really you're gonna build a tower into the heavens? Let me come down and look at that. What man does is nothing compared to what God can do. And of course he confused our language and people went to different parts of the world. God scattered them. Right after the flood, in Genesis chapter 10, we have a breakdown of all those families and those different people groups that came out with a new language. Genesis chapter 11, which follows that, actually gives the chronological account. So if you're studying Noah, his sons, his grandsons, in Babel, how many language groups would you expect to find according to that, that math that you're right. gonna do? I would say there's a minimum of about 78. And the reason that I say there's a minimum is in Genesis chapter 10, it gives you that breakdown. If you add them all up, you have about 78 in there. And the reason I say minimum as well is because when it comes to the line of Shem, it didn't give you all the descendants. 
We read about some of the other descendants in Genesis chapter 11, where it then goes back into Shem's lineage and we read more about it. So there was other sons and daughters in there that may have gotten it as well. So minimum of 78. If we actually look at language families today, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 90, 95 to 100. Uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. Those numbers tend to change a little bit. They sometimes add computer languages to it, some sign languages. But if we're actually trying to think of actual languages, non-constructed languages, we're somewhere in that neighborhood of 95 to 100. So you're right there we're right in, in, the in the ballpark of what the Bible yep. would have predicted a number of languages. That's exactly right. So if uniformitarianism, evolutionary, mm -hmm. Darwinian worldview is true, how many languages would there be? Well, if you think about it, we have some sort of evolving language of grunting forms that come out of Africa. You really shouldn't get much for, for too many at all. Huh. You'd expect one sort of major grunting language family. But if you look at languages, they're incredibly unique. Some read left to right, some read right to left, some read top down. The grammatical styles are- It's like something was are, really scrambled. Yes, it, it really is fascinating. When it comes to the subject of people groups leaving the Tower of Babel, it actually explains an issue in our culture that's very important. We're in a culture where people talk about higher and lower races and these different races of people. And we see a lot of atrocities between these so-called races. But you know what? The Bible actually answers that question very well. We all go back to Noah, we all go back to Adam. So ultimately there's one race, the human race. But then people say, but, but why do people look so different? You know, I see people with lighter skin tone or darker skin tone, people with different hairstyles and, and different body builds and so forth. Actually, the Tower of Babel explains this beautifully. We look at different peoples. Well, you see blonde hair and fair skin and green eyes. We got dark eyes, dark hair, got almost kind of a, a reddish looking beard. We see all sorts of different features. How do we explain that? Actually, the Tower of Babel explains it so well. As different family groups go to different parts of the world, the gene pool gets split apart. People who went to Asia took genes for an almond-shaped eye. People went to Africa, took genes for darker skin. People went to Europe, took genes for lighter skin. But we're all related, which means we're all sinners. We're all in need of Jesus Christ, no matter what we look like. But at the same time, the Bible explains this because we see that variation within our genetics. Now, let, let me kind of explain this in a little bit more detail. So let's say, Noah and his wife had the genetic disposition to have light skin and dark skin all right there together. And so let's say they come out kind of more of a middle brown. They could have children who are really dark to really light in one generation. It was probably something like this with Adam and Eve as well. But then as we start to see some of these break down between uh, Shem and his wife or Japheth and his wife and Ham and his wife, we start to see even more as this breaks out as people go to different parts of the world. And they're in different world. parts of the world and they're isolated. So they're, this this, Right. Variation's gonna now become prominent. You know, as you get out to Asia, some of Ham's descendants, some of the Sinites particularly moved out here. A lot of the Chinese still call themselves, use the name Sinite or Sinim, uh, Sino-Japanese War, if you think of some of the, the names. But so we end up with a group out here that's isolated. The features of their greatest grandparents are now gonna be shown in the population. And so you get a lot of people, they probably had more of an almond-shaped eye, some of those descendants right there. People in particular, areas of Africa, Kush, for example, they probably had a little bit darker skin that lived in that particular area. Some of the people that migrated and lived up in France or Germany, they had lighter skin tone, so their descendants are gonna have a lot of that. So yes, we see that. Now we're gonna still see a lot of mixing in the Middle East, where we do happen to see a lot of middle brown, a lot of middle features. But the Bible explains then, as people go to different parts of the world, that's why we have the variation. 
And you know what? A lot of these language families actually match up with these different people groups as well. So we're seeing it not just from one way, but from multiple elements. So you have the biblical explanation of how we got here, the fall, mm -hmm. the punishment of the flood, mm -hmm. and then the dispersion of the nations. Yes. Uh, and we're all one race, but then you have the evolutionary worldview or the Darwinian worldview right. that we're all evolving. So then that right. would predict that you have lower human races and higher, and human, higher races. human races. That's racism. That really is. See, an evolutionary worldview is inherently racist. I, I, you know, there's a lot of evolutionists who are not racist. Please don't get me wrong on that. But the worldview itself, it comes out of a racist understanding. You go back to early uh, evolutionists like Charles Darwin, Ernst Haeckel, these guys were uh, racist in that understanding. And see, what they have is they have apes here in Africa. So they say apes evolved into humans here, and then they came out and happened to come right up, probably not too far from the Tower of Babel, and then all of a sudden everybody splits around. If they would just reverse the line here for where the Africans coming out of Babel, it makes a lot of sense. And you're also seeing that the population dispersion is from a central place, and yes. that's the same place it really is. that you're finding the Ark and also the Tower of Babel in that same part of the in that world. that same general area, that's right. There's one race, the human race, that's to sum it up, and we're all in need of a savior. Which, <laughs> You know what? The Bible says go into all nations and preach the gospel, disciple them, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know what? There's a reason for that because we're all related. So here at the Ark, you see the scale, and that's impressive, mm -hmm. but you also have the displays, yeah. and you have shown how all of this could work, but you didn't stop there. You also had all these other explanations of right. world history, biblical history, and how mm -hmm. all this comes together. You all have done a great job. Well, I appreciate hearing that. Um, you know, one of the things we wanted to do, we wanted to fascinate people. We want to fascinate them with the Bible. We want them to be able to open it up and say, wow, the Bible is true. And because the Bible's true, the message of the gospel founded in that same Bible is also true. One of the things that we're open about this here at the, at the Ark Encounter and at the Creation Museum, we don't just want people to be creationists. We don't just want them to say, yeah, there was a global flood or there was an Ark. We want them to understand that the gospel is true. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is forefront and forecenter on all of that. We're right up front with that. We wanna see people say. So I wanna encourage people from all over the world, get back to God and His Word. Doesn't matter what you've grown up with, doesn't matter where you live, get back to God and His Word. Hey, thank you so very much for not just the tour today, yeah. but for your life and ministry of service to Christ. Keep serving the Lord. Yeah. I know many people are blessed. Well, if I can ask you and you know, be praying for us here at the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, be praying uh, uh, you know, for this ministry. Uh, you know, we, we try to get our hands out there and yeah. uh, uh, take the gospel to all nations and Amen. take the message of biblical authority to everyone. We will pray for you. Thank you. Appreciate that. This ark is an amazing, amazing structure. Noah and his family, they went through a door. The door was open. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and no doubt he was telling the people that there was judgment coming, but no one listened. They could have gone in, but they didn't listen. Well, there's a door that's open for you. There's judgment coming, not by water, not by a flood, but certainly a worse judgment, a judgment by fire. But there's a door that's open to you. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone will enter, they will be saved. 
As soon as Noah and his family got on, the door closed. There's gonna be a day when the door will close, but today it's open. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Don't delay, walk through the door of Jesus. He died for you on a cross and he rose again. We've all sinned. God loves us so much that he paid for our sin by sending Jesus to die on that cross. And when you believe in him, you will have eternal life. The door's open. Walk through by faith in Jesus Christ. How many animals could fit on Noah's Ark? Did the flood really cover the entire earth? If you're wrestling with the answers to these questions, look no further than InGrace's exciting video series, A Tour of Noah's Ark, where Jim Scudder walks through the amazing Ark encounter in Northern Kentucky with Bodie Hodge, the son-in-law of Answers in Genesis founder, Ken Ham. This incredible series will be yours as a thank you for a gift of any amount to InGrace. And when your gift is $35 or more, you will also receive two more video series, a walk through creation with Ken Ham and exploring God's oceans. Or get our entire eight series creation bundle for only $100. Don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity to learn about a young earth and explore the beauty of God's world. Call now, 800-78-GRACE or order on our secure website, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on InGrace Radio with Jim Scudder Jr. InGrace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in next week as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio.